Welcome to the Beyond Jiu-Jitsu podcast, episode number 31. And uh, this is a pretty special episode for the Beyond Jiu-Jitsu podcast. We have with us today, Jeremy Skinner. Jeremy is a black belt out of Absolute MMA St. Kilda under Lachlan Giles and Craig Jones. I uh, had a bit of a stalk on Jeremy's BJJ Heroes page. And here are some of his main achievements. He achieved first at IBJJF Pan Pacific Championships in 2018 as a purple belt and first at AJJC Australian Championships in 2019 as a brown belt and third in the ADCC Japan Trials in 2019. He is also a Polaris and Subversion veteran and a leg lock specialist. So very happy to have Jeremy here today. And as a bit of a side note, we also went to high school together. So (laughs) (laughs) that definitely helps. That that, that should have been at the top. Yeah, it definitely should. That's your main achievement, going to high school with Kieran Lefebvre. That's actually how we got him on the show. It's because he's like, oh, yeah, our mums are friends. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) My mum said I had to do it. It's like hanging out with like that, that weird kid. (laughs) <laughs> oh wait that means i'm the weird kid. yeah you're the weird kid bro. <laughs> honestly this beats like any sort of like high school reunion because i have zero interest in something like that this is way better to like just like meet high school friends like through jujitsu instead that's yeah right so just out of curiosity is there many people that we went to high school with that trained jujitsu yeah um i mean we're gonna start like dropping names yeah fuck and, it yeah, why not like i know uh like like uh jack hawthorne and his brother are getting into okay. it yeah so cool. um I'm it's totally blanking some others, like, but that I think Chuma, Kieran Tumor is yeah, he's into actually, MMA more MMA than yeah. Jiu Jitsu specifically. Yeah, I've trained with actually Kieran a couple of times. He trains basically down the road from Jack, so oh, cool. yeah, like people are like getting. Yeah, we have to do a road trip up to yeah. up to New York. You, you guys yeah. went to school together in Newcastle. Yeah, well, yeah, pretty much. That's, yeah. that's what we say. <laughs> that, that's the easy version of yeah. it. But like, we also like went to school together on the Central Coast, and like both left the same school and ended up at the same school. I think. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like like when- really bizarre. Like we saw. Over at the same school for slightly different times, and then we ended up at a different school at the same time. Yeah, right. very, very bizarre. Anyway. So it's kind of like when when people ask where I'm from, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm from Byron. But then yeah. when I meet someone who knows Byron well, they're like, oh yeah, where? And I'm like, okay, more specifically, Goon and Gary. And yes. they're like, where the fuck is that? <laughs> That's not even Byron. <laughs> we have the same sort of thing. Technically, we went to school on what's called Lake Macquarie, but for all intents and purposes, we just say Newcastle. Like it's Newcastle. a, we just say it like. It's yeah. not technically Newcastle, but anyway, for all of our international listeners, they're like, what the yeah, fuck are yeah. these guys talking about? <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, again, thanks for thanks for coming on the, the podcast, Jeremy. So just for our listeners that may not be familiar with you, shame on them. But <laughs> for those people, can we just get a, a bit of a synopsis in your own words, your progression through jiu-jitsu to where you are today as a, as a black belt? Sure. So I'm uh, a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, I started in 2011, so I've been training for about 10 years now. Um, actually, I think it's like 10 years, like as of like two weeks ago or something oh, like wow. that. Congrats. So yeah, yeah. So so decade in, it's like the only thing in my life that stayed like relatively consistent <laughs> and like actually like stuck with like, yeah. Um, so started in 2011 in uh, Newcastle. So I've trained at probably like, like I've been like coached at uh, probably three different schools now. So I started uh, under Sean Kirkwood at uh, like Hunter Valley Martial Arts. So so that was more of like they they uh, a karate gym that had like jujitsu off on the side there. Um, and so Sean would come out probably like every two weeks while um, we had like Ian Wright uh, taking most of the classes um, the rest of the time there. But like and so so it was like you know 
bit of uh, like mixed coaching there at the time. Um, and so as I was moving in towards like thinking about going towards uni- uh, going to university or, or things like that and like starting to actually get out into the workforce, that's when I moved to uh, Best and Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. So I was a blue belt at the time. Um, and that's where I think I spent a lot of my like like people often talk about like, you know, like uh, in their personal lives, like their formative years. I, I think that's where I spent a lot of my formative years of jujitsu is training at Bestons where um, like I, I wouldn't say that like I had like fundamentals down or anything like that. But like that's where I started like thinking about like uh, broader jujitsu and trying to get like a better understanding of uh uh, how I, f- I feel about it, what works for me. Uh, you were blue belt at this stage? Yeah, blue yeah. belt at this stage, yeah. And so, uh, like, yeah, and I had, like, uh, both uh, Luke Besson, uh, Grant uh, Bradshaw, and Keon Harris, like, like really uh, be mentors to me and, and give me a lot of guidance there. And, like, they've been, like, all, all three of them were fantastic influences that, that sort of contributed something a little bit different. Um, and then from there, so, uh, so as I mentioned, like, those are probably what I consider to be my more formative years in jiu-jitsu. And in those years, um, that's when I really started thinking more about trying to take competition seriously. It's something like it's an idea that I'd romanticize like from white belt days, like like in 2011 when I was a white belt, I think the meows were brown belts at the time. And like I, I really romanticized like sort of uh, their lifestyle and, and like what they're looking to do with like, you know, this idea of basically um, like I guess, you know, like uh, – pursuing jujitsu like like endlessly sleeping like I, on the mats sort of e- thing yeah. exactly yeah. yeah i i i feel less about jujitsu now and like where you know it like I now that do- you've seen how the meows walk you're like <laughs> yeah i don't know about yeah. that like so so exactly that where, and also even just the idea of like like sleeping on the mats like now it's like i think like man like how do they not have staff more like yeah, like so gross. <laughs> yeah Dude, you're making me feel old, Jeremy. Just that sentence of like, yeah, I was a white belt. I think the Meow brothers were brown belts. And I was like, I remember when I was in Brazil and we would be like doing the Sao Paulo circuit scene and I was a blue belt while they were purple belts. And I'm like, God damn, Jeremy's like, was a white belt when they were brown belts. I'm like, uh, God, make me feel yeah. old, bro. <laughs> yeah, so, so exactly at that time, this is like when the Meows just had like that um, that clash back and forth with Keenan. With I think Keenan, they had like such fun. a, yeah. It was such a great like uh, period to be, uh, you know, whether you were getting into jujitsu or you were interested in the competition scene, like it was, it was such a good period to watch, right? To watch yeah. the battles that they had through purple and brown belt, something yeah. you'll never get to experience, Kieran. You weren't around, bro. I'm sorry. It's been and gone, but yeah. it was awesome. It was awesome yeah. to watch them battle, right? It was, yeah, it was absolutely something epic because basically they, the two brothers lost like, like, like every match they had against Keenan up until. Um, the the one match that mattered where I think uh, Paolo won by advantage was that uh, wow. Guy Walls, was it? Yeah, I think was, – was that the one where he became the lightest ever absolute winner? Yeah, wow. yeah because exactly that's what it was is that you have the Meows that compete um, like featherweight and lightweight, I believe. Super small guys. Like super yeah. small versus Keenan that uh, competed at, I think, heavyweight. Um, heavy or middle heavy at those yeah, belts? Yeah, I, 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 think think I think he's heavyweight now. I think yeah. maybe he was a little bit lighter at the time. And so you have the, the, these twin brothers where like, you know, you can look at it and be like, yeah, but it's two against one. But then like the trade-off is, is the fact that you've got this guy that's just like much, much heavier than them. So you have these two brothers, these, these, these small guys that are basically just working together to figure Keenan Cornelius out. Right. And you can see like across the matches, like how it slowly changes. Like it starts off with like, you know, the the first two matches, I think um, 
Keenan armbars Paolo and uh, puts uh, Zhao to sleep. Yeah, both from 50 50, right? Yeah, yeah. From memory. So, yeah. This yeah. was also like back when. So the, the battle that these three had was really as well when. Um, you know, it's now we take for granted how normal like 50-50 and bearing bolos are. But the, obviously like the positions existed before. These guys didn't invent those positions, but man, they really like all their battles took place within those positions and in the gi, right? So obviously we'll talk about leg locks later, but yeah, not not mm. don't think like what we think of 50-50 nowadays, right? A bit mm. different. And, you know, they forced a lot of rule changes, right, in, in IBJJF yeah. due to how much time they spent in 50-50. Wow, that's influential. Yeah. Okay. And, and so exactly that, like you, you have uh, like Keenan, Keenan submits both of them, like the first two matches that these two brothers had. Like I, I think it was like an Ezekiel from 50-50 and um, – and an armbar from 50-50. And I, I think really what you saw was like the Meows trying to use that position as a bit more of an equalizer where it's like, you know, trying to sweep Keenan and, and use it in that way. Because I don't think they really use 50-50 in a lot of their other matches except I think against the Mendez brothers, but that was at Black Belt, like that's a little bit later on. And so what you see over time is like it's slowly like I think the third match then I think also finished with an armbar and then I think maybe the fourth match ended up in like a double DQ. And yeah. so what you saw was they slowly work it back from just getting absolutely smashed to eventually beating Keenan Cornelius. And wow. like, yeah, like that was like a really, really interesting time for jiu-jitsu because like at the same time you also have like the Mendes brothers at like nearly at their peak of competition there. Like not quite yet. Like I think like once the Meows got to black belt, the Mendes brothers like were really at like their competitive peak and that was shortly before they retired. And and so so this is like this is what I was looking at at white belt like wow. yeah like I mean for for people who don't know you that well, Jeremy like you're you're quite well known as being, you know, super into the, uh, like the technical side of jujitsu and yeah. the knowledge of it and you know like in in a in a loving way you like to geek out on jujitsu like a lot of the top competitors do right yeah. so was watching those battles like. You know, you as a white belt, I imagine, I didn't know you back then, but I assume you were probably, the way you thought about jiu-jitsu was probably more advanced than the average white belt thought about jiu-jitsu. Like, were you able to digest a lot of what you were watching or was it still a bit kind of beyond what you could grasp? Um, like, so, so at the time, like, I was trying to study the meows. Like, this is, like, really early on, like, I, I was trying to, like, you know, I'd sit down with, like, like pen and paper, I think I think I was like 16, 17 at the time. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna watch this match and just look at what he does. And I think like like I'd say like the things I took note on, like uh, like would have been things that would have been very difficult for me to apply as well as like I think there would have been a lot of things that happened that would have just gone completely over my head. Um, but I was at least trying at the time to like start studying jujitsu and and look at what the competitors are doing, like at a very early stage, even though I wasn't training. Um, in a particularly competitive, like I wouldn't, I would even say like a, like just not a competitive gym at all um, when I started at Hunter Valley Martial Arts. Um, but still just trying to look towards what like the high level competitors are doing and thinking like, okay, like that's like where jujitsu is at. Like that's what I'm aiming for. Right. And I'm going to like look to that. Like it's, it's one of the uh, things that like at the time I can, I could see in karate is like, you know, this idea of uh, an appeal to tradition essentially this idea of like the old way is like the right way and like like you know it's it's that's sort of like a logical fallacy there like you know agree, like yeah. like you should be like you should be like comparing it to like anything else you look at like military strategy mm -hmm. like like weapons technology anything it's like the newest thing is always the best thing mm -hmm. like 
like it might not necessarily be like the nicest thing or like the thing that like you might I, like you know might be like an ideal like in terms of like your picture of jiu-jitsu and i think that's where maybe like some of the older school guys that don't want to sort of change with the times are sort of stuck at is like I, and i can agree with them there like it might be like what's happening now and what's working it doesn't really sort of fit in with what you'd like i uh, like jiu-jitsu to be but like it doesn't change the fact that what that's they're doing what it is yeah. yeah it doesn't change the fact that that is what's working and whether you like it or not like you, you need to change with it because otherwise it just means then that like you're you know going to be stuck behind forever yeah, yeah absolutely and during your process of studying these these greats at the time and you know still greats today is that what led you to eventually seek out a gym like absolute mma and say hey in, in Australia, what's accessible to me right now, this is where I need to be. Yeah, uh, uh, that's, that's definitely the case. And this was, um, I, I had a conversation with uh, my coach at the time, Luke Beston, who was really, really awesome, like just with me about jiu-jitsu. Like he was like, like at the time, like uh, say for example, heel hooks, like, like heel hooks was not like, so this was probably about 2015. Um, heel hooks was not something that was like, you know, pretty much any gym um, was comfortable with like having people roll with. Um, wasn't I mean, a thing. black belts barely knew how to do them. E- exactly. Then, right. And so that's exactly what it was like, like Luke, like, um, like, you know, comes from like a, like a hoist Gracie jujitsu background. Mm-hmm. And, and even in like, like, so their self-defense curriculum, they have some heel hooks. Um, but even then, like, you know, just for like, like because there wasn't a lot of information about heel hooks at the time, like, like, and I agree with Luke on this for like what, what the time was, um, best practice was just like to not do heel hooks in the gym because like, it, you know, like if you, like if you, the coach hasn't really got like a lot of information about heel hooks, it can be really tough to have like a safe training environment. So like, mm. I, I think he was trying to do like, like the best, like the best with, with what he has at the time, which is why when um, there was a grappling industries announced that they were introducing heel hooks, like I, I asked Luke about this. I was a blue belt at the time. Um, hey, can I start practicing some heel hooks because I've got this comp coming up and I just don't want to get heel hooked and like like get injured. And he was straight away. It's like, yeah, definitely. Like like Keown's really uh, keen on practicing some heel hooks. Um, so like you guys can train together. And then that actually led to. Um, very shortly, like Luke, like bringing heel hooks into like regular training for everyone at the gym. Mm. Like he, he kept a very open mind about a lot of those things. And so similarly, uh, when I wanted to focus on uh, taking jujitsu a little bit more seriously and focusing on competition jujitsu, I had another chat with Luke and I said, hey, I'm thinking about moving to Melbourne um, to, to, you know, focus on like like training full time and taking competition seriously and really like pursuing this as um, – as a career and he's straight away he's like yeah absolutely like if you want to go do that like that is the place to go do it and and he's yeah was just like completely open about like a lot of the these things which is really lovely right because it could easily go another way i mean this man it's like beating an old drum those those old school jujitsu coaches that like once you train with them they're kind of like no i own you you can't train anywhere else and it's really lovely to hear you know coaches who have willing or not willing willing's the wrong word but a supportive of your decisions to to seek further training or or whatever it may be because that's often not the case right? Adam, this may be a yeah. bad time man but we need to talk <laughs> 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 uh, um, okay so so you were blue belt when you went to to absolute mma by this by this time or um, were you purple belt so, so i was blue belt when we started bringing heels into training i was purple right. belt at the time i was th- i um was you thinking actually about yeah right yeah, moving okay and cool. like like made the move could you just uh explain a bit at, at that time uh where the, and this is 
not only for me to know, because I'm curious, but also for our international listeners, listeners. I mean, I was aware of Lockie and Absolute at that time because, I mean, I was living in Brazil, but Lockie and, and Livia, you know, Lockie's wife had come over and trained in Brazil and they happened to come to the gym that, that I, I trained at. Uh, so that's how I met them and knew them. But I didn't, I was, a, was unaware about the Australian jiu-jitsu scene. And for international listeners, they perhaps might not have heard of Lockie prior to his ADCC success, right? So what, I mean, where was Absolute as a gym in Australia that sure. was, like, what had they done for you to make the decision that that was the place to go? Sure. So so I guess I can paint, like, the scene a little bit there, sort of, like, where, like, pe- like different people were at, like, at that stage in their career. So, so this was sort of, like, towards the end of when um, – Kit wasn't really competing all that much. Like he was still because like, he was the big name prior to people yeah. such as yourself, Lockie, Craig, right, yeah. Levi, and, and all those guys. And I think like Kit really paved the way for like competitive like Australian jiu-jitsu. Like he really showed that like like we can go out there and actually compete with the top dogs and like like do really quite well. So so this was more towards like um like later in kid's career like kid still competed like after that but like like where he wasn't sort of like focusing on it so much so i like like i've never really spent like much time training with kid um but i was invited by uh my friend uh mikhail to come down and train at absolute so so we had a match in sydney and he was like man like you you should come down like like we'd love to have you and so um he was training at absolute MMA at the time when they were in the St Kilda gym. And, and so at the time, um, I think Lachlan had been on EBI five and this was also just shortly. Sorry, after. what's EBI? Uh, Eddie Bravo Invitational. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah. I've sorry. Heard of, I've heard of that. You're a white belt. Sorry. <laughs> they stopped doing jujitsu competitions. They haven't probably. done one for a while. Eh? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's oh, been Sorry, done. you're a white belt. Yeah. <laughs> Let me explain. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've just seen them slap each other a bunch on uh, EBI at this stage. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. I've seen that. So, so this was when um, EBI was really starting to ramp up. So I think they had like the first probably three events where it was like, you know, kind of a bit of a weird competition. Um, you had EBI four. Uh, which was in about 2015 where uh, like Eddie Cummings had come along and like heel hooked everyone through to the win. Um, and then Lachlan was on EBI five. I think he fought like Nathan Orchard first round, like uh, submitted Honey Yaya and then then uh, lost to Gary Tonin in the uh, the semifinal. So, so Lachlan had gone and done that. And again, like, you know, he'd gone on EBI and uh, submitted a, like an ADCC bronze medalist, like, like not like, like absolutely smashed him. Um, which is which is really unexpected. So that's sort of where Lachlan was at his career, where he's showing like that he is like ADCC caliber. Um, I think he'd also been to ADCC at that stage as well for the the 2015 um, ADCC. Liv um, had just, I think she would have just recently competed on Copa Podia with Ben Hodge and. I think yeah, I remember that. Was Cra- I can't remember if Craig was. on I can't that as remember well. if Craig was on that actually. I know Ben was. I know Liv was yeah. because Copa Podia was. Um, I, I think they're talking about doing another one soonish, but it's, it's like a super fight event. It, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, it's so kind of like a who's number one okay. sort of thing. Yeah, like they they it's sort of a team event. It was it's almost like the first look at like team events uh, for jujitsu, but rather okay. than but more like a wrestling sort of team meet where like you have like say for example you take like three competitors each and you just match them up with another opponent on another team and there's mm-hmm. like an agreed weight for their match mm-hmm. um so so more of like taking like um like yeah like a wrestling team meet idea and and having those sort of events and and it was a brown belt event only so I don't. Oh, okay. I don't know if they ever did no gi matches. I know like there was a lot of gi matches. They're definitely more known for their gi matches. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, so this is sort of where they're at at the time where like, you know, you've got um, like live competing at a very high level, like the brown belt at the time as well as like. It maybe, I think maybe Hope fought on that too. Or was that a later one? Hope um, fought at Copa Pojo sure, as well. Hope Douglas. Um, Hope, you know. I think Hope might have been purple belt at the time. Right, right. Um, but because I think like there was like a pretty long period after that where I think like Hope was a brown belt. Like I, I think she, she was a brown belt for three years but any anyway so, so that's sort of where it was at at the time where like you know you've had uh, kit make like big waves overseas um and also like in australian jiu-jitsu um with his competition um and like like his approach to competition like he was known for being like a very strong like guard passer but he's sort of like you know sort of ramping down on competition lachlan had been on ebi um this was right before um, so, so when I visited the first time, this was actually right before Craig had been on EBI and, and not a lot of people know this, but like Craig was actually on EBI before he submitted Leandro Lowe, but like, and, and like had like a fantastic run. So similar to Lachlan, like he actually submitted Nathan Orchard first round. Um, he submitted Darrow O'Connell, really high level Irish, uh, competitor, um, and then lost to, uh, Wagner Hosher in the semifinal. So, so this was oh, just wow, before okay. that. And so when I visit, so, so what caused me to, um, actually think that I need to go to absolute to start training, right? Like, cause, cause up until then I like seeing like how Kit was doing, um, it looked more like he was just himself a very talented individual. And so like it, like the idea of going and training with like a professional team had never really like crossed my mind. Cause it was just more like, oh, you've got someone like Kit who's just very talented and otherwise it's not really opportunity for that in Australia. And so when Michaela had invited me down to go train with them, I actually got to see the the approach they had to training um, leading up to Craig competing on EBI, like, you know, um, like, like as silly as it sounds, because I feel like this is like a really common thing that every single gym does now, but like even just like seeing simple things like positional training um, really made a difference to like, like, you know, thinking like, like how my training can actually have like an impact on my performance, not just like, you know, rock up, drill a couple of techniques and then see how I do in rolling. Like, like having a more measured approach to how we train, which is, which is sort of funny in a way, because like I saw benefit from studying outside of jujitsu, but I never really thought much about like how my training could change. Um, Within jujitsu classes. Yeah, exactly. Because it's not something I had control over. Mm -hmm. um, and so like class structure was never like up to me in like any way. Um, so I found that really quite interesting. And, and so, so really like a lot of that just led to me, like, like, I think like literally the week I was there, I went, I'm moving here and I, I made wow. that decision. Wow. When you know, you know, that's awesome. That's really <laughs> cool. Yeah. So at that point, your, your purple belt, you move, move to absolute MMA St. Kilda. And then, then, uh, as I sort of was talking about at the start, you had a fair amount of success at purple belt. So yeah. how, how long were you with absolute MMA until you did compete at the Pan Pacific? Um, I think so. So, I think the day I arrived in Melbourne to like start living there, um, the Pan Pax was on that day. Um, so that's not the day I competed. I, I competed the following year at Pan Pax, but like right. that day. Um, so it was about a year. Yeah. Yeah. Almost so, to the day. Yeah, right. e exactly. Wow. Yeah. I think like I, I remember on that day, like I arrived, actually I might, I might've been there for actually a week potentially, but I remember like it was on pretty much like when I arrived. Cause I remember um, that was actually the day uh, Adam Jones had, like basically broken his everyone says his ankle but it was like the bottom of his shin like damn. that like snapped in half basically from someone like jumping clothes guard into his ankle damn um so i remember like literally like i, I remember you did not jump high enough yeah yeah, yeah. And, and adam adam's like 
I mean, he's not like he's not seven foot, but he's like as close as like I feel like I've ever seen a man get to being seven <laughs> foot tall. Um, like he just towers over everyone, and so I think you have to jump pretty high to get close guard on that. Like, like yeah, and, and so that that was a that was an odd day because that was I I turned turned up to the comp. I'd walked in the door and like looked over on the mats and like saw the person just jump into Adam's shin. Like Oof. like like first thing I saw that day was like, like, what am I doing here? Turn around (laughs) and walk out. (laughs) And and so that was, uh, that was pretty horrific. So, so I think it was about a year from then um, that I I went and competed at Pan Packs at Purple Belt and and won my division. Um, And and for me at the time, actually like um, winning Pan Packs at Purple Belt was really important because up until then, um, and, and I think even within myself, I really just like thought like, okay, like I'm probably only really that good at like leg locking people and like just Was that win, guard. sorry to interrupt, was that win in the gi or no gi? Uh, no gi. No I, gi. So I haven't competed in the gi since probably Blue Belt. Yeah, we we're right. going to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, like so, so even at Blue Belt, I already made the decision that like, 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 and I, and I think the gi's really interesting. Don't get me wrong. Like if, when I put a gi on, like I'm happy to play, like I play worm guard, like, like all those different things. Like I'm like, I'm going to get right in. Like if I put the gi on, I'm going to get right into it. Like, like otherwise it's like no point in putting the gi on. If I'm just going to put the gi on and do what I do in no gi, like I might as well have just trained no gi. Right. Um, yeah, so I, yeah. Like, like I'm, I'm going to do it. As, like, I, I, it's that's a fun funny. Eh? Like I have the same thought. Uh, I mean, obviously people who train, they'll always prefer one or the other, even if they train both, right? You'll typically always prefer one. But uh, I 100% agree with you that if I'm going to be in the in the gi, why not use what it has? Like you look at Marcelo, for example, and and Marcelo's quite known as his game is more or less exactly the same gi and no gi, right? Like even when you watch him fight in the gi, he barely does like sleeve grips and collar grips. It's still just all like wrist control and arm drags and things like that, right? Mm. But I, yeah, I agree with you. It's like, well, if I'm going to put it on, I have access to all this stuff. What, like, why not use it, right? Yeah, you know? and, and like, because to me it's it's – it's a funny idea. Like, I mean, it's going to be hard to criticize Marcelo, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, <laughs> oh, shots fired. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but, but like, if, if I feel like if I'm at a stage where I'm thinking like, oh, like I want a game that's going to apply to both, like I'm just going to do a Nogi game in the Gi. Like to me, that just seems like, well, I should just trade Nogi. Like uh, yeah. I should just compete yeah. Nogi. Because like if you're really aiming to like minimize the, like the differences between the two and the difference is the Gi, then like and just it, don't train in the yeah, gear. Just don't right? train in the yeah. gear. Like so, so that's why if I put the gear on, like I'm gonna go all in. Like yeah. I'm, I'm gonna have fun with it, and like like you know, like it becomes like a nice like like just fun activity, just doing something different. So as someone who is more well known for no gear, uh, I want to kind of get your your put you on the spot and get your thoughts on both aspects. I want to hear what you think is you know something you like or something good about the gi and then something you hate about the gi and then the same for no gi what's something you you know love about no gi or i guess the reason why you prefer no gi but then what is something also that you don't like about no gi um if there is something i I actually (laughs) i i find this a really uh difficult question to answer because like really all of my answers like would just come down to pure preference. Like, so the only real, there's, there's only two objective reasons I can think of as to why I prefer no gi over gi. It's um, washing. He doesn't uh, like washing, <laughs> washing. Washing is a hundred percent one of them. <laughs> washing is absolutely one of them. Like, like and that's actually the biggest one. The, oh my God. the, the, the second one um, is more financial opportunity. 
like yeah. like those yeah, that yeah, makes yeah. perfect sense particularly the, someone in your position where you like are, trying to make a career from yeah, it right? yeah you're competing at a high level and when you're talking about like what is the premier gi event right it's ibjjf yeah. what is the price and what do they pay sweet yeah, fa well, <laughs> yeah. not even just that so so like you know like like adam you can probably attest to this that there is more money in jujitsu um to be made from teaching um, and and yeah. so what we saw in 2015, um, and we we st- we still see it, but probably like uh, 2015 was like a really Im- important year for for Nogi Jiu Jitsu. Is it went through essentially like a renaissance, um, like in a, like a complete change in it. You saw like like it really sort of open up in like you know the different training methodologies and things like that. Um, specifically for Nogi Jiu Jitsu, I think we saw a lot of changes in the gi since then too, but I, I don't think as much. And so what you saw then was um, an opportunity to to become a part of a crowd that has. Um, a, like a more of like an esoteric skill set and that's something that you can sell like it like when you have things like ebi that are really making um nogi jiu-jitsu popular people want to be a part of that and they see like okay like these guys are doing leg locks and now you're seeing like a lot more like wrestling and like like you know turtle attacks and things like that and people are becoming a lot more interested in that and so when you're a part of like that crowd that is like trying to stay on like the edge of uh, what's happening in competition when it's such a um, w- when you're seeing like so much change in something like like that seems like really quite different and interesting, that becomes something you can sell. Um, and, and like I think that's where a lot of the opportunity comes from in Nogi as well. Like what we might see over time, like maybe in the next couple of years, if like let's say like Nogi Jiu-Jitsu does just become essentially wrestling and doesn't really have that much change, then you might see those opportunities go away. Um, but that's where I really feel like I like a lot of the opportunity comes from is like, like if we talk about specifically leg locks, like, like, you know, if you're one of the people that was onto leg locks really early, like, like, like I'd say 2015 is like when, you know, say like Eddie Cummings was getting good at them um, or, or like at least starting to, but the rest of the world like had like no idea about them. And so if you, if you were someone that was onto it then and like really tried to stay up to date with it, everyone else that's not training full time, that's like, you know, just like, you know, they, 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 train for fun or even people that are training competitively but they haven't been able to stay on top of that suddenly want a bit of that and you can you know and if you've got that knowledge then you can you can sell it to them like you know you got instructionals which is is actually a relatively recent thing for them to actually do well financially but um like you know seminars private lessons like even just teaching classes things like that and i think that's where a lot of the opportunity um to make money in nogi comes from there is like you can start talking about like prize pools and things like that in competitions and there is more money there in terms of super fights um but really i like if if you talk to any of like the the really high level competitors they do get paid like a handsome fee for like those doing those super fights but the seminars they'll do around those super fights actually makes them way more money Mm. um so that's it yeah yeah. like i mean because you look at uh sports that pay way more than jujitsu like boxing right and and you have professional boxers who were pe- getting paid big bucks to fight but then once they've retired all of a sudden they you know the money the dries money up. dries yeah. up they go broke or whatever mm-hmm. so it's a hundred percent in teaching and i think well you would know more about this than 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 me jeremy because you're you're quite close to craig but um i believe craig even said after he blew up from adcc with submitting uh, low and chael sonnen and all that uh you know, he went on a massive seminar tour. Oh, and yeah, he like made, 12 he months. Made, yeah, and he made a killing, but he also, I believe, reflected back on it saying it was like one of the worst years of his life. But he, you know, just in terms of the amount of travel and lack of sleep and time zones, mm. but he knew it's short-lived. 
right? Like yeah. it, it's not going to last forever. I mean, obviously at the moment it would still be lasting for Craig because he's still very relevant, but you know, I mean, yeah, it, it doesn't last forever. And I say this all the time. You could probably put, you know, two seminars side by side on the same day and have one being taught by Craig and one being taught by Hodger Gracie or Marcelo Garcia or these massive names and more people would go to Craig's because yep. he's way more in the limelight at the moment. Yeah. And whereas even guys like Hodger and Marcelo, like it doesn't last forever. Mm-hmm. So you do, and then, so, you know, you can have the prize pool money, but then after that it's seminars. And then after that, yeah, it is like teaching and having a gym. Like that is the mm-hmm. way, way you make money in yeah. jujitsu as you go into your, your older life. Right. And that's, that's exactly it. So for me, the way that I treat competition and super fights and things like that, and, and similar with Craig, that's why like he'll, he'll take like, you know, like he has like all these fun, exciting matches just with like really interesting names, like in this sport, it's just an opportunity to sell yourself. Mm. So that way then you can make money in these other ways. Like obviously like you, you make money from doing like the super fight and thing like things like that, but the bulk of the money is going to come from using that as an opportunity to like market yourself. Um, and, and advertise what you know um, so that way you can sell the seminars. Like you, like the, the joke is that, you know, like like Craig's like, you know, the second best like grappler in jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Like, like, but like he, he's obviously very good, but he also focuses on being very entertaining. Yeah. Um, it, like in his matches as well. Like he doesn't want to have a boring match. He'd rather like, you know, rather lose a, an exciting match than win a boring match. And like we saw that, like, you know, with his, his match against like, like, Darby just recently, Darby Ramos on Polaris, like Darby mm. just really forced that to be just like a boring match, just backing away. Like, well, and I think well, he's- the same as like yeah. when, um, you know, when he lost to Mateus at ADCC, right? Yeah. Like, um, you know, man, like, you know, props to Mateus for winning, but, you know, man, that was a very boring fight. And, yeah. you know, despite Craig's best efforts to engage, you know, Mateus has- huge respect for Craig's leg lock game. So mm. it was very hesitant, but it resulted in quite a boring match, right? You yeah. Know? Um, and, and yeah, like, cause if you look at their, their ADCC runs, like, like on that day, like obviously Mateus is very good. Like even Craig said after the match, he felt like at any stage Mateus could have passed his guard if he wanted to, but he just didn't make the decision to do so, which would have made for at least a more exciting match. But like the runs that they had at ADCC, like it, like all three of Craig's matches was like a highlight reel start to finish. Yeah, like yep. you could just pick any moment in like any of his matches and like there's a lot of movement, a lot of technique going on, like a lot of like high level jujitsu happening um, as opposed to like you, like Mateus's run, not so much, yeah, um, unfortunately. Yeah. So speaking then of um, super fights, so more recently you had quite a tough match with um, Cannon at, what was it called? The classic, classic jiu-jitsu, classic jiu-jitsu, right? Yeah. That was up in Queensland, right? Uh, you know, which you got the sub win. You now have another super fight coming up, which I believe the date's been changed to February 12th. 12th. Yep. Okay, that's under with this, subversion. Yep. And you'll be going against um, Talis and Swartis, who... You know, obviously, Cannon's no joke. He just placed third uh, at, at Nogi Worlds, losing yeah. to Isaac. Yeah, they had a fantastic um, match in the semifinals. Yeah, they yeah. Did. it was an entertaining match, wasn't yeah. it? So Tallison, I guess, is maybe more accomplished than Cannon, so or at least a bigger name. How are you approaching this match coming up with Tallison without giving away your secrets? Right, it's still <laughs> yeah. a, it's still um, a few months I, out. But. Yeah, like I like I think it's fair to say that. Um, you look at like like Talison's success in jiu-jitsu, like he's he's probably like one of like maybe 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 even like the best grappler like like at his weight class. Like you look at you know his first year at Black Belt in 2019. Um, I think he won every single competition he went in except for one. Yeah. I, I I think it was 
Europeans maybe that he took silver, but like every other comp, he, he smashed. Like he, he took gold at everything. So like I have to take this match very seriously. Um, and I, I have to show him like, you know, the, the due respect like uh, leading up to the match. Like, Do they have they spe- is did they specify a weight division for it? Um, yeah, I think we're doing uh, 65 kilos, okay. um, which is, uh, is that normally a hard 145 pounds. You normally walk around around 70, right? Um, so so fluctuate a little bit. I'm probably about 70 at the moment, yeah. um, sometimes up to like 76. Okay. Um, like I've, like it is for those listening, three months post not doing any training pretty much because <laughs> we've been in lockdown in Sydney. Yeah, so. I, I was really fortunate. Like. Well, not fortunate, but like, you know, like the one positive I can glean from lockdown is I actually lost weight, if anything. Did so you really? Yeah, like I, I, if anything, I lost weight. Oh, yeah, I'd be really fortunate. I got scurvy. I lost a bunch of weight. <laughs> like, like, I think, um, yeah, like, yeah, that's exactly it. Why I was scurvy? like, yeah, like, <laughs> what scurvy? No, why scurvy? Well, Why'd uh, you go to that I don't know. I've <laughs> into my head. Malnourishment, I guess. Yeah. Right. You got the pox. <laughs> Yeah, like as opposed to like say like the peak of my training, for example, like last year when like I, I didn't really have any matches sort of like um, coming up and like I'm just like training hard, like, you know, like um, like even just like things like 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 creatine carrying like the extra water weight mm-hmm. and like the muscles and stuff, like I'm getting up to like 76 kilos. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, right now walking around at about 70. But I, I'm, I need to like – I'm not going to bulk up in that time, but in about four weeks, I've got the uh, the Boa Super Eight, which is at eighty kilos. So wow! Okay. I, I'm, I'm kind I'll of. Oh, do you? Oh, that's right. The Boa Super Eight are coming back as well, right? Because that's yeah. an event you fought on. Have yeah, you fought on that, before? That was, um, I know Lockie and that have fought on it. That was um, Purple Belt, my first super fight. Yeah. Where um, is this? Where is this event held? Uh, this is down in Melbourne. So yeah. they they um they get in. Not, well, I mean, this time around, because of uh, international travel restrictions, they are not able to get like. Um, all the same sort of names that they'd normally get, but they're, they're picking up like some of the, the biggest names in uh, Australian jiu-jitsu for the Bowl Super 8. But in the past, like they, they've like flown in like a lot of uh, like really high-level competitors like like Edward Najmi. Um, like Adam, you've competed on it before, have you? I've never fought oh. on the Bowl Super 8. I've, no, I fought Subversion last year. Yeah, that was um, a fantastic match. And then mm. it's a you quick... You smashed. Yeah, I actually, <laughs> got, re- I actually got really stressed in that match because I had said to all my all my students, I was like, man, two minutes. All I need is two minutes. And then like I missed my initial takedown and then I started getting stressed because I was like, (laughs) two minutes, like a minute and a half. I looked at the (laughs) clock. I was like, I'm running out of time. I told everyone two minutes. I think I ended up needing four minutes, but yeah. What was the finish? You you had your opponent mounted and it was- Yeah, it's like a a lapel Ezekiel. Mm. I was going to say, I I couldn't remember if it was like some sort of cross choke or if it was like an Ezekiel or like a a bit of a mix between the two. Yeah, it's like a modified Ezekiel. It's, um, I mean, I did it. Years ago, you do it to like me all the time. We, yeah, I showed it years well, ago on Bernardo. My boat, you can do anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know how Bernardo has like those videos where he gets what whoever to show a technique. Uh, so I did it with him years ago, but more recently, like Adam Wilts did it with Bernardo as well, showed the exact same um, choke. And I'm supposed to be fighting on this subversion awesome. as well that you're fighting on in February. Who against? But. Uh, Gustavo Gilmartis, I think his last name oh, is. Yep. He's a um, he's from Roots. I think it'll be a gay match as well. But actually, it's funny because recently I've been thinking, man, maybe I, I should maybe send him a message and be like, hey, Gustavo, you want to do no gay instead? <laughs> you know, um, do it. But, but yeah, I don't know. They haven't. Did they approach you about the date change or they just changed it? No, they just changed it. Yeah, and I find so out from did. Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, like, you know, I don't want to rag on subversion because, 
you know, I'm probably about to fight on their card. You're going to fight on their card. But that fight against uh, no James, yeah, no one's listening. Right? <laughs> on the last subversion, no joke, like that subversion was on a Sunday, right? And I didn't even know I was fighting on it. On the Monday, they posted <laughs> like the, what do you call, like this sort of matchup photo of yep. me and James. They posted on their Instagram <laughs> on the Monday. They didn't even message me or anything. And I was like, what the hell? No, they tagged me in it. That's right. And then I messaged them. I was like, uh, am I fighting on this Sunday? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, cool. Where? What time? What's the weight category? Yeah. Like I knew nothing, right? And yeah, this this next one, the yeah, they didn't message me about the date change. But I did wonder. I was like, I wonder if they at least message the headliners like <laughs> no <laughs> yeah no. Okay. like I, I sometimes I, I i saw that and i thought i wonder if talison knows yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, 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 like a, a whatsapp group or yeah, something like because like, like like we talk to each other like a little bit like like we've like talked about like the upcoming match and stuff mm-hmm. but like I, I i see that and i think I don't know like how much Talison's like checking his like Instagram feed and stuff. But like, I mean, you would think they at least message you like, okay, like, you know, I'm, I'm a nobody, but you and Talison are headlining. Like what if Talison is like, okay, borders are opening up, man, I'm booking a trip back to Brazil to see my, like what if yeah. he's got flights back to Brazil like on the 10th saying, of February, yeah, right? Like, like he, because he's been here for like, you know, a few probably years, like a few now, years right? now. And I think he wouldn't have been able to leave Australia for the last like two years. He probably years. wants to see, you know, yeah. so you don't know. He probably yeah. wants to like see his family. So <laughs> you, we sort of started to get into it um, oh. just before you were saying uh, that, you know, you you were saying Talison is a very highly respected black yeah. belt and you are giving him the respect uh, in terms of your preparation this upcoming match what does that sort of look like what's what's a day in the life because obviously for those who don't know you're not in like you're now living in sydney right so yeah 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 in Um, i mean obviously you still like represent absolute but you're not training there on a daily basis because you're in sydney now so how's your approach for talison looking yeah um so so the, the problem the problem is is that over probably the last like or five months, like being able to train properly has been pretty disruptive. Like we just had like a three month lockdown. Fortunately, like, like for example, uh, George was, he messaged, he did message me about one potential date change, which was going to be, um, I think, Se- end of, it, I think it was going to be, it was originally September. And it was going to be end of uh, December this month, I think. Uh, yeah. End of October. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Got pushed again. Yeah. yeah. So, so if it was going to be for that day, like that would have been really, really tough um, mm. to, to be prepared in time. But Especially because Byron, where Talison is, isn't in lockdown. So he would have been training and exactly. you down here doing sweet FA. And yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I, like I was looking at that, I'm like, because Talison, uh, like, like one of the big things approaching that match is like, I know he has incredible cardio. Like he yep. can push a pace for a long time. Yeah. Um. So that's something I have to keep in mind because like, I don't, yeah, like I don't know if you guys have ever seen like my matches. My cardio, not the greatest. <laughs> no, I haven't seen any of your matches. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, I, like I haven't had. A, I, I, I think it's it's never gotten to a point where I've fully gassed out in a match except for ADCC trials, and that was like after a couple of matches, and that was mm. like the the I think my fourth match of the day, and like I, I had relatively fast matches before that, but then we had like a nine minute match, and and. I, I really like try to push the pace on that one. And, mm. you know, like that was probably, that's probably the only time in, in recent memory where I've really gassed out. Um, but yeah, so, so like, but the, the thing is though, it's like that, that's like, you know, like gassing out, but like, you know, I'm still like in other matches, like having to still really control my pace and make sure that I'm not like, you know, just like pushing myself too hard and like overextending in terms of like what my physical capacity is. So that's something I've got to keep in mind leading up to this match is, um, 
making sure that my um, my ability to like really like keep up a pace through the whole match is, is going to like I'm going to be ready for that. And that's not something that I can prepare for in like four weeks. Mm. Um, yeah. So so yeah. I'm really like glad that uh, I've got until like February to uh, do that. And I've also got some matches that will be um, coming up before that. So like as we yeah, mentioned, so you like said the Super, Super 8. Who are you fighting on that? Um, so I'm actually in the Super 8. So so the way it works oh, is they have like yeah, an 8 Yeah, they have a bracket, bracket, right. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Um, I think in the past, I, I can't remember Do the Do you past, know your first match already or no idea? Not sure yet. Like um, it only as, as of like yesterday that they're following up with the other competitors. So I got the call about that last week. Um, they they've followed up with like some of the other competitors on the Monday. Any um, so, names you can give that you um, know? So so I can I guess I can confirm the ones that like they they announced um like like because they they did do like a previously like an announcement about like who's going to be on it. So so like Keller's going to be on it. So uh, so hopefully they don't have Keller first round. Because you're so, training together, right? Exactly. So education. I, yeah. So I teach like five of like like pretty much all the daytime classes at Grappling Education, which is Keller's gym. So Keller and I train <laughs> together a lot. So so like hopefully we don't have each other first round. Um, yeah. like that would be nice if we didn't have to do that. Um. I um training a lot more as well with uh Ethan Thomas. Um like incredibly high level wrestler as well as like a fantastic black belt. Um, but he, um, I don't think he's going to be on that. Like, like he was invited, like, and he was like the first time around, like he was, he was definitely going to be on it. But I think, um, um, <laughs> they just it, pick eight people from grappling education <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they're on the card. <laughs> well, well, it's, it's, it's sort of funny because like half the people on it are like from Sydney and I'm like, mm. I, like I train with all these people. Yeah, like, yeah. like, um, I, I actually I'm not a hundred percent certain, but I, I know they were like talking to like Ari about being on oh, the okay. card. I, I can't remember if that ended up um coming through, but it's like I've trained with Ari heaps as well. Like yeah, yeah. But I think that's just the way it is. Like like anytime um I compete now, like you you know who you, like you you're pretty familiar with who you're gonna go against. Like Especially in Australia, right? Like obviously yeah. Australians are starting to 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 blow up on the scene, but still compared to Brazil yeah. or the US or even Europe, the the top level Australian competitors, it's a small group of people, you know, yeah. compared to what, you know, in the US, there's lots of them. In Brazil, there's lots of well, them. So and, and that's exactly it. Like this Talison match, um, like like I'm really looking forward to that because it's like the first super fight I'm gonna have in like three years against someone my actual weight. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. every super fight I've had You've for like been the fighting last, up, right? Yeah, yeah, like I've had to give up like like pretty much seven kilos wow. um, at least like on every super fight I've and had. That would have like definitely the been there, the Cannon matchup. Yeah, so that he, was he like- Because Cannon usually fights middleweight. I mean, Cannon and I used to train together in Brazil. Yeah, right? yeah, he spent and, a lot um, of time over there. Yeah, uh, and yeah, man, even back then, what was Cannon? So I would have been like a brown belt and he was blue to purple. And yeah, he always fought middleweight and he's, yeah. Like That's he's like 82. 82, yeah. 82 and he's, kilos. man, he's a- Strong kid, right? He's an yeah. avid surfer. His dad is Ross Clark Jones, a famous big wave surfer. So he's, you know, man, he's a big, like, Tough, yeah. Yeah. he's one of those guys that you might not think he's so, so big and strong, but then you see him up close and you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you're actually quite a big kid. Yeah. like Not to jump around a little bit, but that was an interesting style matchup for you as well. He had a very uh, strong pressure sort of game. He was really yeah. pressuring you throughout the match. How, how did that how did that feel at the time um so uh i guess like like after like you know canon's just had that match against isaac at nogi world like there's like a really interesting comparison there that we can make so so going into that match um 
Cannon pulls uh, guard straight off the bat. Even though he's he's predominantly a top player, he he always pulls guard, which is like um, which is quite interesting because a lot of the times, like normally, like you'd presume that a top player is going to be looking to wrestle, force the other person down onto their butt. Um, but both the match that uh, Isaac and I had with him, um, he pulls guard straight off the bat. Now, um, there, there was a pretty major difference there where I spent most of my match uh, playing guard and having to deal with uh, Cannon's pressure passing, and and that's well. It, it's actually he's got a really interesting combination of like pressure and agility that like like to work his way through someone's guard, um, and that is by far his his stronger area over his um his guard. I'd say like like that, that's my opinion at least. I don't know like you you've trained with. Uh, I mean, well, you trained with it. Well, competed against him, rolled with him more recently than me. You know, so for me it was years ago. But even back then, he he always pulled guard because he spent. When he was in Brazil, he spent a lot of time training with a guy called Thomas Lisboa, okay. who is a, a, a black belt from Fabio as well. But Thomas spent heaps of time with Marcelo. And Thomas has had heaps of success as well. Kind of all, like I think he won worlds at brown belt, but then kind of at black belt would always lose out to the meows. Um, and then obviously Cannon went and he's now fighting out of Marcelo's gym. So, I mean, I, I think you, you probably by default would get good at X guard or whatever, but, yeah. but even as a blue purple belt, Cannon had a good X guard. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, and I remember him having good top pressure as well. Like yeah. as a bigger person, he could kind of fill those gaps and it, yeah, really Absolutely. agile. It almost felt like, uh, it didn't feel like he was surfing, but you know, like obviously to be a surfer, you had really sort of dexterous with your feet and whatever. And mm. he has this really nice like flow on top while mm. still being super heavy, right? Yes, and that's definitely what we saw in that matchup. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like, and he put like a lot of heavy pressure on top of me. And so, so one of the interesting things to take away from that match is at the start, um, I, I'd say I got pretty close to like passing his guard, like almost straight off the bat, like mm. with like, um, like a lot of like with some like body lock and like near side underhook passing from like a half guard. Um, and, and the mistake that I made there was that like, you know, I, I like, you know, in the first like minute of the match had like very, very quick success with that. But then for some reason I, I, I'd been out of competition for a long time, I guess. And, and just for some reason just defaulted to playing guard, even though like I should have, like if, if I'd probably been a little bit more clear headed going into that, um, I, I would have made the decision to stay on top. And then so by comparison, then you watch Isaac's match against Cannon, like Isaac persistently stays on top and, and he, he, you know, reaped the rewards for it. Like mm. he like was constantly able to keep pressuring Cannon's guard and like Isaac's got an incredible body lock pass. Like like watching, w when I saw that they were going to match up for the semifinals because I decided to uh, completely ruin my sleep schedule by staying up to watch Nokia Worlds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, like awake at like, uh, like at 4 a.m., um, <laughs> and, and, but like going into that match, like I, I saw like, okay, Isaac's going to take that. Um, mm. like, like based on my experience, like from my match with Cannon, as well as like seeing how he'd done in his matches leading up to that, Isaac's going to body lock pass him like probably multiple times. And that's exactly what happened. Um, so that was, yeah, like a, an interesting sort of comparison to make there on the different, like difference in styles. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and then Isaac obviously went on to to get the win. Yeah, yeah. and I just—I've never said this to you before, but I called your sub. To I was talking with uh, someone from from our gym. We we're watching the match together, and I called. Um, I had we 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 had like a running, not a bet, but like a running discussion. Okay, what's the result? You know, he put his his in, I put mine in, and my 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 two was either um, some form of leg lock game win or a submission via triangle. And it was yeah. a was it uh, it was a bit of like an inverted sort of yeah, triangle, um, wasn't it? Yeah. So so it's a variation of a triangle we call uh, an ankle triangle. It 
basically like you take a triangle, but you you almost like rotate the triangle sort of like 90 degrees um, and, and you get some different results there. It gives some like different options. It's, it's a um, the, the way that you would look to finish it is probably a bit, little bit different to uh, a regular triangle. You're thinking about like basically getting your partner to, or your opponent to like open their shoulders up rather than drawing everything in and compressing everything in um, just because of the very nature of the triangle. So finishing with like uh, the similar to how Gordon Ryan uh, finished Carl Bohm on who's with number that one. Almost like turned into a mere lock sort of. Exactly. Exactly position. that. So, you, so you're looking at essentially like an Americana from a, from an ankle triangle. And so the way that you see like, you know, like uh, Gordon's knee drops in front of uh, Kyle's chest on there with, yeah. uh, with uh, his lock of the triangle against the side of the neck rather than um, around the other side in front of the, uh, the shoulder. Yeah. So uh, it's sort of like that in between position where you might see, um, uh, I think Gary Tonin sets up really well, uh, like a triangle from the back, right? Yeah. Where you kind of, but it's you've turned that ninety degrees. You often find yourself in that position. Yeah, so but you the, obviously hit it from from guard. Yeah, so so the the setup there is a very deliberate one. Um, it it stems off um a, a style of setup that I got from from Craig and Lachlan that they call the Choi Bar. So so it, it basically like a an armbar variation. Um, and you can use like a Kimura grip to set up like a similar style thing. So you can use like, say, for example, like like an initial um, like figure four grip on their arm to either start thinking about going in towards the choy bar there um, so you can attack the uh, the arm. There's also like leg lock opportunities, back takes, different things like that, um, as well as like the ability to like go into uh, uh, triangles from there. So you'll see, I think, totally blanking on who he, was, uh, who he had a match against, but like Nicky Ryan on Polaris for one of his matches – I think it was against uh, Phil Harris, actually. Um, basically, using like a like an, an inverted arm bar or like a choy bar, essentially to invert through to a triangle where he squares up with his partner. Um, ADCC trials, uh, Japan, the one where I lost in the semifinals. I used the exact same setup, but there was a small mistake I made there where I know Nicky Ryan prefers to square up with him, but I, I've like I find personally like it gives him too much of an ability to posture, and that might just be a mistake that I'm making there. So instead, like I place my uh, my quad behind my partner's head there, and I, I turn downwards instead to force him through into the roll. It doesn't give him an opportunity to posture, and so that's something that I'd fixed up from trials, and I was able to finish Cannon with uh, with that setup there. I think even though I had his arm extended, he said after the fact that it was actually he was tapping to the the strangle because basically yeah. you want to start extending that arm and like opening up the shoulder to cause uh pressure on the far side of the that's neck that's what there. he gets for being so jacked across the shoulders but <laughs> exactly uh, that's <laughs> like i said to like i had um joey and jt at, at the gym the other night and you know as you know they're quite well developed guys big strong guys oh they're right yeah <laughs> and it's like like you roll with jt or something and you get a cross face and his lat is so big it's like you know those beginner hand holds at indoor rock climbing gyms yeah it's like that you're like yeah thanks bro <laughs> like, yeah. It's, yeah. It, it, it makes for a nice grip like and exactly so this exact uh, triangle variation exactly that i actually um i, I taught it last week uh like uh, a grappling education, but like, it's something that I'll teach to people where like, I find it a, a much more effective way of triangling someone like a lot bigger than yourself. Like, you know, the classic thing is, uh, you know, you, you put like a, you know, 140 kilo man in a triangle and he just walks around it. Yes. Yeah. Mashes through it. Like, yeah. th there's a guy at a uh, grappling education, Mark McKay, who's literally 140 kilos. So he's literally twice my weight. Um, this is the only way I've ever triangled him. Wow. Every other time it's a joke. Like, yeah. like if I try when, and go for a standard front triangle, he just like, like just walk, like walks around the corner and he's inside control. The first right. gym I trained at was um, a gym in Canada when I lived there. And 
yeah, first gym, so I was a white belt. And one of the guys I would train with on a daily basis was also a white belt. His name was Trevor and he was an ex, um, not NFL player, but like he played American football and he was like, I don't know what it is in kilos, but he was like 350 pounds. Like, wow. like it's a big dude. Wow. That's and like 140 kilos. Yeah. So, so that, like big yeah. guy and the, and yeah, even though I'm pretty big, like, man, he was big and, and I was only a white belt. And the coach was like, oh, you know, if anyone ever triangles Trevor, like you get a stripe. Right? <laughs> and so I was rolling with him one day <laughs> and I threw on a mounted triangle and then he bridged and rolled. And, but the way he bridged and rolled, he came up into the triangle and he was like flat on his belly. So he Ooh. couldn't stack me and he tapped. Right. <laughs> and I was like, I get a stripe. And then the coach is like, nah, it's no gi, bro. There's no belts. There's no stripes. And I, was, <laughs> I was like, fuck, <laughs> you know, back then when you were a white belt, man, those stripes, they mean a lot, you yeah. know, like I was devastated. Yeah, man, you gotta get them, gotta get them stripes on your, on your belt. So I wanted to ask, um, at some point today, Jez, now that, restrictions, uh, travel restrictions in Australia, or at least for New South Wales, are looking to ease from November 1st, not to get into any politics, but we're seeing you, you know, compete. You have all these these competitions, these super fights on the agenda. Trials next year as well, right? You, yep. yeah. Should we be expecting to see you at the, the Oceania ADCC. trials? Yeah, so. definitely. So uh, actually I forgot to mention this earlier, like uh, one of the big things for preparing with Talison is getting a lot of time training with Luke Martin at Sydney West. And so like literally I think yesterday we had like a big discussion about as well as like uh, who's going to be in what division for trials. So, mm. so like most of my training for that stuff is going back and forth for like grappling education and, and Sydney West. And so like, yeah, so I'll definitely be at trials and it, it's a matter of like what other Australians are going to be in what division at trials. But sorry, we, we, right. you keep asking a question. I think we never no, no, get this is, this is, this is great. Like, no, it's, it's organic. But um, basically my question is uh, you have a lot of things coming up. You've got a lot of matches. You got, you're back in the competition scene and it's been, well, since, around end of 2019 start of 2020 was your start of 2020 was your last match i believe or around mid 2020 um, sorry with the classic yeah was that? so that was i'm totally blanking i think it was that. mid like with uh, all the in the, and out of lockdowns of it feels yeah. it could have been last week and you'd be like it was a lifetime ago yeah, <laughs> cool. it, it's like the one time i've competed in in about two years yeah, now so yeah. like to me i can't even tell you it's when like it the was one in two years right yeah, yeah so it's all a blur with all these competitions starting up, is there any chance that you're planning to at some point go and visit the B team in the States and train with your your old coach, Craig Jones? I think recently this is like the one question I get combined with like what happened with Gordon Ryan and like the rest <laughs> of like Well, we're not gonna go into that. There's a there's an awesome YouTube series you can check out. Yes, to find out more. <laughs> But, but um, yeah, I definitely like to go over and train there. Like, I think it would be silly not to, um, like, I guess just like, like in, in the past, the, the issue has been is, um, like, like lack of financials with going over and getting to train with those guys. Like, I'm very fortunate that I get to train with, uh, with Craig, uh, when I can, like, for example, like he, he it was like really cool enough for him to include me in like his Thailand training camp. And when he's in Australia, like I, I train with him as much as I can, as well as like, we got to get like a decent amount of training in when we were in like the UK together for, I think it was Polaris. Yeah. Both Polaris's I think. Yeah. For both Polaris's. Yeah. So, cause we were on, uh, we were both on Polaris and grapple fest um, twice at the same time. So, so like it was great, like getting to train with Craig a lot, both on those two trips. Um, 
yeah, so so I definitely like to go over and visit B team. I think it'd be silly not to like as well as, well as like you know how many other great competitors there are there. Mm. Um, as well as it just looks like a great training facility. Yeah, yeah, it looks great. Particularly like, and we we have some big Australian names there now. Like between Craig Jones and and Isaac, Isaac Mitchell, yeah, it's you know the huge blasting onto the scene. I believe Isaac got promoted like the week before yeah. uh, Nogi Worlds to compete at Brown Belt, and for for those that haven't seen it, he absolutely demolished his division and not a single point was scored against him. Yeah, it wasn't even close. Like, that is so well, impressive. It wasn't even close. And it's so really impressive. interesting as well um, watching that division because you saw Isaac go in there and face mm. a lot of American and, and also uh, some uh, a Ukrainian competitor, like so very high wrestling pedigree. And you watch this Australian out-wrestle every single one of these guys and just yeah. smash them. And uh, he was quite, uh, in his own words, underprepared. Like I know it's probably just him being humble, but... Uh, he was very dehydrated that day. Apparently, with uh, his He's a big his, boy. <laughs> his weight cut did not go according to plan, and he was quite dehydrated. So the fact that he was able to perform at the level he did mm. under the circumstances he was in, you know, very impressive. So um, I think that Jeremy Skinner would be a perfect contribution to the B team, particularly for the Australian side. So I'm I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to see that. Yeah, I would like to. I'd like to see it match. You know, line up like you said. Obviously, it's. You know, it can be can be really uh, put a lot of strain, like the financial side, right, of trying mm. to travel and visas and all these things that people I, don't yeah. consider when they think, why don't you just go train there? And yeah, you're like, like, bro, oh, who's paying cool. for it? Yeah. Like, you know, so I hope, man, I'd love to see you, you know, even if it is just a short little one-month trip or something, you know, it would be awesome to see you get over there and get some yeah. training in. And I'm just glad that, like, they're not in L.A. or New York. Like, mm. I'm just so glad. Like, like obviously, like, Austin's, like, not necessarily cheap either, but it's not L.A. or New York. Like, and it's, yeah. it's within the grasp. It's within it's, reach. Yeah, yeah, just, like, I – like, the big thing was, like, the reason why um, I would – like it was really, really tough to go over and like train with those guys when they're in New York because it's New York and New York like cost, where, where cost gonna, a yeah. fortune. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. it's, yeah. So terrible. I'm glad they're in Austin. That's much nicer. It's also just like better climate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, it's like I've got a student who's about to go do just like three months up in Byron, right? Uh, gonna go train with Talison for a bit and and whatever just live get the, some inside information yeah <laughs> and oh, you said that and i was just thinking like yeah smart move like yeah. that makes sense like <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah like that'd be a good go good place to go train <laughs> yeah but um yeah it's kind of like byron now is so absurdly expensive she's having to pay like almost four hundred dollars a week in rent to live to stay in a hostel that has 10 other people sleeping in the serious? room that is <laughs> oh, insane I, 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 like, like you were saying that and i thought like yeah like i pay like for an 200 apartment, bro, yeah. or something yeah. yeah like and she's gonna be in a hostel with like 10 other people damn like dude that's a joke she's getting scammed that's yeah. like that's, yeah that's, yeah or she's just getting scammed it's right like yeah. talison's fucking mbb side hustle i don't think it even costs that much to stay in bondi like in it doesn't like, no no i think i was paying like less than that when it was like me and two mates in like a hostel in Bondi when I first yeah. started. It's like a hundred bucks. To joke bucks now. Like so that. yeah, obviously uh, Austin's much more affordable than, than yeah, New York Byron or Bay. LA. Or I mean, Byron Bay. Yeah, we'll, we'll Byron Bay. Byron, there, yeah, 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 Byron Bay. I mean, I've never been to Austin or, or Texas at all. So, you know, yeah. I've, I have no idea what part of the city they're in, but yeah, either way, even if they're in the richest part, it's going to mm. be cheaper than New York, bro. So yeah, yeah man, hopefully, you know, it'd be sick to see that 
you know, whether you did a trip in preparation for a comp over there or something, I'd, you know, yeah, be awesome. Yeah, if you need someone to come and film it, just let <laughs> <me> know. <laughs> but w- so we have we have a lot going on in terms of your competition scene coming up for for Jeremy Paul Skinner. What's what's next after the evolution of this? So I know twenty twenty two is going to be a big year of comps for you. Where do you where do you want to uh, progress your jujitsu beyond? Um, so I I. I don't really do jujitsu to compete. I, I more competition is more just like a byproduct of me wanting to do jujitsu. So, so long term, like I, I'd like to be a coach. I'd like to like have like my own uh, gym. Um, yeah, like so that'd be more the direction I'm going. Like it's it's more or less like where I'm at now. Like where I'm spending most of my time coaching anyway. And honestly, that that's what I prefer to do. Like if you said to me, you know hey, you're still going to do well. Like you don't need to use competition to sell yourself and you don't have to compete again. I'd be like, sick, I'm not competing again. <laughs> I've, like I've got I've got so many injuries. Um, yeah, like, it's you know. super hard on the body, right? It's, it's yeah. People don't, yeah, like I, I kind of, when you have students be like, oh, my thumb's a bit sore, I can't train. And you're like, man, you don't realize like these guys who, uh, who seem bulletproof, like you look at guys like, yeah, yourself or whoever, Tallison, Gordon Ryan, you know, all these guys, like, man, they're riddled with injuries. Like they, they just push through it and train yeah. and compete. Like these guys aren't, aren't invincible. It's very hard, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, long-term that would be uh, just more focus on competition. Like honestly, um, and like I think about this, like I, I, like I might even just do something different. Like I might go study and like go down like a different professional route and like just like, you know, train like for fun after that. Yeah, like awesome. I, I I think it's um I, I think when people tell themselves like I'm gonna do jujitsu forever, it's like I, I, I don't think that's like a healthy way to approach it. Um like I think you like you like, you know, uh I'm totally blanking on the term for it, but like, you know, sort of uh like, like a pigeonhole, or yeah, like the uh, like unconditional sort of like love, like right, essentially, right. like mm-hmm. like that's like generally like actually like I mean that's more or less like a toxic sign. Um, I I like to me my love for jujitsu is certainly conditional. Um, and and but I actually think it's just better that way. Um, like well, the sport might evolve in a direction that yeah. doesn't interest you anymore as yeah. well, right? Like it might, yeah. your like if it might like it could potentially just become like essentially just wrestling. Like Nogi right. might just become wrestling, right? Like and like because you you do see it sort of going towards uh that route of like just heavily favoring wrestling, and it's like if jujitsu just becomes wrestling, I'm like, oh, doesn't really interest me all that much. Yeah, that makes like, sense. Like I I do enjoy like the wrestling aspect, but if it becomes pure wrestling, like that's not what I got into. Mm. Um, and like that that's fine. Like I'm happy. Like if I was if I want to keep competing, I'm happy to change with that. Like we were talking about that before. Um. But like at the same so you're time, you're not like necessarily going to make a life decision yeah, on continuing to do like, something that doesn't interest you anymore. Yeah, right? like I like I don't want to be that coach. Like I, like as we talked about before, like that doesn't change with the times. And if I'm yeah. in a position where I don't want to change with jujitsu, I'm like, okay, maybe like jujitsu is not for me anymore. Yeah, like yeah, and 100%. and I'm okay with that. Um, like I I enjoy it, and like I I have like a very very strong passion for jujitsu. Um, and like that's still like like a very strong passion for jujitsu. Like I still enjoy studying matches every day, things like that. Um, and so with that, I'd like to like, you know, uh, go into coaching because for me, like I, I enjoy jujitsu for like the technical aspect. I, I really enjoy, um, like basically like trying to work as a part of like a think tank to, to develop techniques. Like that's why, like, I like going and training with Luke Martin out at Sydney West. Um, 
and like, you know, like having like my own classes at grappling education where like everyone's sort of like a part of a team there and we're like working on techniques together. And that's sort of like where I enjoy competition as well as more of like uh, an effort or like a direction to, to devote my efforts. Um, but yeah, like, like exactly that, like it, it may not be that like that forever. That's awesome. Well, Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us on the Beyond Jiu-Jitsu podcast. Where can people find you? Um, so uh, best way to reach me is on Instagram at Jeremy Paul Skinner. Um, yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's the main way to reach me. I am on Facebook, but like Instagram's the easiest way. And also your YouTube channel. Uh, if you search Jeremy Skinner on YouTube and, uh, just for a bit of a shameless plug for Jeremy, if you want to learn more of Jeremy's teaching specifically, as we mentioned, he's a heel hook specialist. He has a instructional on technically called fundamental heel hook escapes. So you can find that by searching, uh, technically on Google or finding their Instagram and it's spelled T-E-C-H-N-I-Q-L-Y. So definitely check that out. It's very well produced. So or again. you can head out to Grappling Education yeah. and train yeah. directly with him, right? Yeah, for our Sydney siders. Yeah. Go which check area, it out. In which suburb again, sorry, Jeremy? Uh, down in Cogra. So, in Cogra. so sort of like towards like south of uh, like, like central Sydney. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely an awesome facility to train at. Well, once again, Jeremy, thanks for joining us. Till next time, guys. Catch up.